Grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Look, I've got to confess, every time I come to the readings from Numbers 21 and from John 3, our readings for today, where Jesus shows himself to be the Christological fulfillment of the snake lifted up on the pole in Numbers 21 event, Look, I'm, I'm immediately drawn back to the 1981 uh, movie, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It wasn't much more than a year ago that our whole family sat down to watch this classic. And, and you remember that opening scene, right? Indy and his guides, they find the temple someplace in South America. And Indy successfully navigates all these uh, booby traps to find a gold bust sitting on this this uh, stone pedestal. He measures out the sand as a counterweight, swaps his sack for the, ad, the, the idol, and, and just kind of revels in the moment. Only that moment is cut short, for he didn't get the counterweight right, and his actions trigger one final uh, trap. A large boulder comes crashing through the stone facade, he runs out through the other traps, triggering them as they go out, dives out of the way of the boulder, and at the last moment, he believes that he is safe, only to discover that he has been betrayed. He's now surrounded by all these native warriors uh, working for his archaeological rival. In a moment when his nemesis, nemesis is hoisting up his ill-gotten spoils, Indy escapes and he's running through the forest and field toward the uh, river where his friend is awaiting in a two-seater open cockpit seaplane. Indy dives into the, the river, swims to one of the pontoons, crawls into the rear cockpit, and as the, the, the plane is taxiing for takeoff, and in the cockpit, Indiana Jones finds a large snake. His response is one that probably echoes many people's sentiments about serpents. I hate snakes! I mean, what a great opening for a scene for a movie. It's such an action-packed and harrowing escape. And the statement at the end, after he has so stoically overcome poison darts and hairy spiders and a crushing boulder gives us a glimpse of his vulnerable humanity. I hate snakes. In 1989, the third Indiana Jones movie was released, and in the opening scene of this film, we're introduced to a young Indiana Jones on his first adventure. This adventure finds him recovering a stolen archaeological artifact and he is being pursued by those who stole it. In his attempt to flee from his pursuers, Indy ends up on the top of a train that just so happens to be transporting a circus. As he is running across the top of the boxcars, he falls through a weak spot in the roof, and would you guess it, lands in a bunch of snakes. From this point on, you understand why Indiana Jones hates snakes. It's part of his history. It's part of his past. Because at one point, he, became, uh, he came face to face with a box full, uh, boxcar full of poisonous snakes. He proclaims emphatically through the ages, I hate snakes. 
course, this is all fiction, right? Makes for a good movie, but it doesn't do much more than entertain us. You and I, we're, we're not trekking through a, a self-American rainforest in search of ancient artifacts or, or fleeing from thieves on horseback and jumping onto moving trains, right? At least I hope not. But fiction often mirrors reality, at least in some ways. And I think there's a reflection that we can see in these movies as we transition to the texts for today. And that reflection is, in the scriptures, we find the history of a harrowing escape from the dreadful serpent. Turn to Numbers 21. The people of God have quite literally escaped from the land of Egypt. Remember that while in Egypt for those 430 years, they were mistreated and effectively uh, enslaved. They were forced to labor with limited resources. The Pharaoh sought to force the Israelites even to kill their baby boys so that they wouldn't grow to rise up against him. And then the Lord raised up Moses and through him led the Israelites out of Egypt in dramatic fashion. They escaped. But once they had escaped, they needed the necessities of life. They needed their daily bread, and that the Lord provided. Now, 40 years of desert wandering, and their clothes didn't wear out. Their sandals didn't get holes in them. They had manna and quail to eat every day, every single day. Look, some of you like to keep your old clothes around. Uh, I have a flannel shirt that, that's probably about 18 years old now that I still throw on, but it's full of holes. I mean, what if, what if the only thing you had to wear was your clothes from 20 years ago? Sometimes we get into our grooves of what we like to eat, right? Maybe it's the same cereal every morning or a sandwich that we have at lunchtime. But after a few days, you want some variety, right? What if you had to eat the same meal, not for one week, but for a year? Can you imagine 52 weeks of the same bowl of cereal for breakfast and lunch and dinner? How about for 2,080 weeks? That's 40 years of the same thing. What would you do? Well, i got to confess, I know, I know what I would do. I wouldn't wait 40 years to voice my complaint. I hate manna! That's probably what I'd be saying. Why? <laughs> Why do you grumble? Why would I grumble? Why would the Israelites grumble? Why were they complaining? Well, isn't it because we feel that we just deserve better? Or somehow that we got the short end of the stick or the, the raw end of the deal? Ultimately, isn't it covetousness? Wanting what our neighbor has in property or relationships and grumbling because we don't have it? In all our cases, isn't it because we think that we know, we know best what we need, and when we don't get what we want on our terms, we end up sounding like two-year-olds throwing temper tantrums? 
But where does that come from? Well, let's go back further in the history, not only of God's people, but of all people. Do you remember that in the beginning, in, in, in Genesis, mankind had absolutely everything that we needed? Perfect temperature, so we didn't require clothing. Perfect purity, so that we wouldn't lust after one another or walk around being ashamed of our nakedness. Perfect variety in food. All the seed-bearing fruit from the tree or from the vine that was ours to eat. Perfect relationships with each other, with nature, and with God himself. Perfect until the snake found its way into the garden and hissed those four little words. Did God really say? And they listened to the voice of the serpent rather than God. Now it's because of what happened in the history of mankind that we now grumble against God. We are discontent with what he has provided. We shun and we despise his gifts. We want more. We desire better. We think we know best. Those four little words spoken by the serpent were the bites wherein he injected the poison of doubt and self-delusion into the ears of Adam and Eve. And the poison spread to the heart and to the head and left them for dead, spiritually and physically. No longer was everything perfect. They had now become enslaved to sin, and so to their offspring. Every single person born on this earth carries in their flesh and soul the poison of the serpent. I hate snakes. If not for God's intervention, look, all would be lost. And he provided an escape plan from this slavery. He offered, again, the, the antidote for this poison. He gave his promise that would be enough to enliven those who trusted in it. He promised, even in the beginning, to Adam and Eve that the head of the serpent would be crushed. We'll go forward in history again to Numbers 21. God had provided escape from Egypt. God had provided for their every need. And yet they still grumbled. And so God sent snakes. Physical snakes that physically bit people and caused many to become sick and die. But God provides an escape plan. And what is his escape plan for this instance? Well, he instructs Moses to make a snake out of bronze and then to, to lift it high on a pole so all who would look upon it would live. Now, I've got to say, that is the most absurd cure for a snake bite that I have ever heard of. The people were called to look upon the object of their suffering, the source of their sickness, and the dealer of their death so that they could live? Ah, but look, it wasn't because they were looking up in worship of a, a snake that they were saved. No, it was that they were looking up in faith to what the Lord had provided. 
They had repented of their sin of ingratitude and discontent, and the Lord was providing for them a way of escape. The snake upon the pole was not a living snake, but a lifeless, powerless serpent that could strike no one. This was an image of the source of their death, dying. Or as Cyril of Jerusalem has said, that brazen serpent was hung up as a remedy for the biting serpents, not because they believed it to live, but because it was killed, and killed with it the powers that were subject to it, being destroyed as it deserves. The snake on the pole was an image of their death being put to death so that they might look upon it in faith and live. And so Jesus, so many years after this event in the history of God's people, interprets this image as an image of his own suffering and death. As Jesus is lifted upon the cross, his image is an image of the result of our sin. Bloodied and beaten, despised and rejected, he is the image of what our sin earns. Here at the cross, that promise made in the beginning is fulfilled. One of Eve's offspring crushes the head of the serpent, but not before his own heel is bruised with the fang marks of Satan. The poison that coursed through the ears of Adam and Eve and spread to their heart and mind, the poison that enslaved all creation in a curse of sin and death, was fully and completely absorbed in and by the body of Jesus. Looking, at, looking up at him on the cross shows us the deadly effect of sin's poison. St. Bruno of Segni in the 11th century commented, Moses raises up a, bro a bronze serpent in the wilderness so that people smitten by uh, serpents might see and be healed. So also Christ, who raised up on the cross so that whoever sees him with eyes of the mind and believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. For there is no other medicine that is able to heal man from the first poison of the serpent. The Lord properly wished to be figured in that serpent, since as that serpent possessed a certain likeness to the serpents, yet did not have the harmful poison of a serpent, so also our Savior, although regarded as a sinner and crucified between robbers and having the likeness of the flesh of sin, as the apostle says, nonetheless was himself without sin. For he appeared in the likeness of the flesh of sin, so that because of sin, he might condemn sin in the flesh. Looking at him in faith, that is, trusting that he did this for your rescue and for your escape from sin and death, saves. St. Paul said, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, all the world stands condemned and poisoned by the serpent's bite, but those who look in faith upon the one who bore the venom of the serpent in his flesh shall live. And that means you, fellow redeemed. You have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection, which is your birth from above by the Spirit of God Himself. And in that birth by water and the Spirit, you were clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And just as the, the, the sting of the serpent's bite bruised Christ's heel, still He lives as the victorious crusher of the serpent's head. And so too has the venom from the sting of your death been removed for you. And you also will be raised with Christ to share in his victory. So confess your sins of covetousness and discontent, of grumbling about what you don't have, and look up, beloved in the Lord, upon the crucified one and live. See that he has taken your sin in his flesh and into the grave, and there he left it buried. Dare to defy the devil and hate the ancient serpent in the name of the risen Christ, for you are his, and in him is the victory. For this is the way of all God's people. This is what God's people have been doing through the history of this world. And now by faith, this is your history. This is your story as much as it was those who lived before you, Adam and Eve, Moses and Aaron, Nicodemus, Paul, Cyril, Bruno, Bruno, Luther, and the like. You have been rescued and redeemed You have escaped wrath and eternal condemnation by faith in Christ who was lifted high upon the cross for you. Amen. May the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until he comes again in victory and in glory. Amen.